0: Before we begin, a note to mark the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died on September 18th at the age of 87. We first released this episode in August. And while the main issue it covers, the decades-long attempt to curtail voting rights waged by the conservative members of the Supreme Court, was important then, with the justices' passing, the gravity of the matter has just jumped by an order of magnitude. Justice Ginsburg rightly believed in a court that served the marginalized and underserved, that the words inscribed on the Supreme Court building, equal justice under law, meant just that, equal. Not equality for some, but for all. That legacy is now at risk. And while this episode won't delve into the political fracas that is about to begin in Washington over replacing her on the bench, before we dive into the main part of the episode, I want to read a portion of Justice Ginsburg's dissent from a case that plays a big role in this episode. The question was whether Wisconsin lawmakers could constrain voters in the state's primary election that was held back in April, during the height of the pandemic. That is to say whether conservatives could further disenfranchise a voting public from whom they'd already taken so much. Sadly, if not unexpectedly, the Supreme Court's conservatives ruled in favor of disenfranchisement in a 5-4 partisan decision. In her dissent, Justice Ginsburg wrote, The majority of this court declares that this case presents a narrow, technical question. That is wrong. The question here is whether tens of thousands of Wisconsin citizens can vote safely in the midst of a pandemic. Under the district court's order, they would be able to do so. Even if they received their absentee ballot in the days immediately following election day, they could return it. With the majority's stay in place... That will not be possible. Either they will have to brave the polls, endangering their own and others' safety, or they will lose their right to vote through no fault of their own. That is a matter of utmost importance to the constitutional rights of Wisconsin's citizens, the integrity of the state's election process, and, in this most extraordinary time, the health of the nation. Unquote. The same question will be with us in November, as conservative lawmakers attempt to disenfranchise voters across the country, presenting citizens with a false choice between their right to vote and their right to remain healthy. Justice Ginsburg's words are still as prescient as they were when she wrote them in April. But then again, she was always ahead of her time. May her memory be a blessing.
1: Welcome back to CBS This Morning. Wisconsin holds a presidential primary today, despite Democrats' attempts to delay it. You can expect It's
0: April 7th, 2020. Democratic primary day in Wisconsin. It's down to former Vice President Joe Biden and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. But there are some key down-ballot races, too.
2: Those lines are long in Wisconsin, despite the state's safer at home order. People have been waiting for hours in Milwaukee to vote in the presidential primary. The number of polling places in Wisconsin was cut due to workers' concerns about contracting COVID. On the other side of the state,
0: thousands of Wisconsinites wearing cotton masks and latex gloves attempting to stand six feet apart from one another, despite the constant shuffle toward the ballot box. Milwaukee, the largest city in Wisconsin, had planned on having 180 polling places open to serve the voters. But on election day, there were only five precincts open for in-person voting.
3: This morning, people in Wisconsin have a tough choice to make, protect their health by following the state's stay-at-home order, or exercise their right to vote. That's because after a day of chaos and confusion, Wisconsin primary is actually back on today.
1: This is just so wrong. This, This election should have been called off. You know, they're telling us to stay in the house and, you know, stand six feet from each other. But then, one of the most important times, they're forcing us to come out here in a group. Stop playing politics with our lives. You know, that's what I'm feeling. The coronavirus pandemic has reached a fearsome new number tonight 100,000 lives lost in the United States. It is more than all the American dead in the Korean conflict and the Vietnam War combined.
0: You'll forgive me if my jaw's on the ground. U.S. weekly jobless claims total 6.6 6 million versus 3 million.
4: Concerned that the budget crisis facing state and local governments could end up holding back the national recovery. Breaking news tonight regarding the election: Wisconsin Supreme Court has struck down. An executive order by Governor Evers to suspend in-person voting tomorrow. This morning, the line for a food bank over at Palace Station stretched more than two miles.
0: So amid all the closures and cancellations, the postponements and postal votes we're faced with a disturbing question. How could it happen in Wisconsin, historically one of the most progressive states in the country? How could Wisconsin, in the face of unparalleled death, in the midst of the worst global pandemic in living memory, decide to proceed with the April election as if nothing were wrong? There's an answer to that. Actually, there are two. A short version and a long version. The short version? This was not by accident. It was by design.
4: I've been advised by public health experts at the Department of Health Services that despite the heroic efforts and good work of our local election officials, there's not a sufficiently safe way to
0: administer in-person voting tomorrow. Wisconsin's Democratic governor, Tony Evers, wanted to push back the election.
2: You know, I thought people would really um, be on board with this. I was surprised, but I think also at the same time, I, I need to stop being surprised.
0: This is Angela Lang. She's the executive director of Black Leaders Organizing for Communities, and she was born and raised in Milwaukee.
2: So I, I had in the back of my mind, like, it's, it's, it's got to get delayed. It's got to get pushed back at some point. And the days got closer and closer um, as we're approaching the election.
4: Just hours before polls are set to open, a fight over whether the spring primary would happen. This afternoon, Governor Tony Evers ordered in-person voting to be suspended. He wanted to push back two months to June 9th. But just about an hour ago, the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled the primary will happen tomorrow. GOP leaders had filed the challenge to Governor Evers' order, paving the way for the Supreme Court to weigh in.
2: The was open to the public briefly today, but that was all it needed. It only took a few seconds for the Assembly to adjourn again without action.
4: I
3: move that Assembly stand adjourned until Wednesday, April 8th at 10
0: a.m. One whole minute. That's the length of time Republicans allowed for the discussion about postponing the election. Now, we should make a distinction— Democrats in Wisconsin wanted to push back the election to prevent illness and save lives. That's a far cry from President Trump, who wants to push back the November election because of the widely discredited false possibility of vote by mail fraud. One delay sought to combat a public health crisis, the other seeks to curtail democracy.
1: George, the state's high court ruled along party lines with four conservative justices voting
2: to block Governor Evers' order to delay tomorrow's election. Legal experts are split on whether the governor had the authority to postpone an election without approval from the legislature.
0: Then the governor tried to exercise his emergency powers to force a postponement, and a federal judge stepped in to deny it. The election would go on as planned, but the judge allowed an extension on when ballots would come in as long as they arrived at the polling place by April 13th, they would be counted. But then the U.S. Supreme Court made the situation more dire. In a 5-4 decision along ideological lines, the court mandated that absentee ballots could not be mailed after election day and instead had to be postmarked by election day. That's the how, the short answer. In the middle of all the confusion, the Supreme Court yet again made it even harder to cast a vote in the United States. But the truth is, that isn't that shocking. In this episode, we're going to tell a deeper story, a story that's been building in the background for years. Over the last two decades, one body of government has become a pivotal instrument in changing the way our country operates. It's the one institution that really matters if we're to talk about how we got to the root of what happened in the Wisconsin primary. That body is the United States Supreme Court. Part one, a partisan court. The US Supreme Court ruled along party lines in a number of cases that allowed for voter suppression to occur in the states. What we're going to describe to you is a political process that has cropped up in American politics in the 21st century, a cycle that has created a feedback loop that exacerbates the ugliest parts of our democracy. From partisanship to money in politics to calculated voter suppression, there is no major issue in our politics today in which the Supreme Court hasn't played a pivotal role. It's the one body where we place the most trust in its independence, its commitment to justice, and the Constitution. The nine justices are supposed to be deliberative, removed from the pettiness of politics. But the Supreme Court has become anything but. Our courts have become a catalyst for the most cynical and radical elements of our political spectrum. And it's no more true than in a state like Wisconsin where the butterfly effect of the Supreme Court has led to disenfranchisement, suppression, and now a health crisis. Let's tell the story of how the Supreme Court broke Wisconsin.
4: The Honorable the chief justice and the associate justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay.
0: But to tell that story, we need to go down south during another momentous election.
1: A big call to make. CNN announces that we call Florida in the Al Gore column. This is a state both campaigns desperately wanted to win. Stand
3: by, stand by. Uh, CNN right now is moving our earlier declaration of Florida back to the too close to call column.
0: Ah. You might remember it. Maybe you lived it. Maybe you learned it. But the story of voter suppression in the 21st century starts right here in Florida, where election officials are busy recounting the votes for the 2000 presidential election between Vice President Al Gore and Governor of Texas George W. Bush.
3: I think, I think Bush v. Gore is the worst decision of the court in probably in more than one generation.
0: That's David A. Kaplan. He's a legal journalist and the author of The Most Dangerous Branch Inside the Supreme Court in the Age of Trump.
3: I think it is a festering unspoken wound at the court. And there is some recognition, including on the part of justices who weren't a part of that ruling, that it did long-term institutional
0: damage. In the 2000 Florida election, at least 1,100 eligible voters were wrongly dropped from voting rolls, in an attempt to purge a list of people who had prior felony convictions. Many of those who were dropped showed up to vote and were told they could not. And in a presidential election decided by 537 votes, that erroneous purge was an enormous factor. The Bush campaign immediately filed suit, and the US Supreme Court agreed to take the case up the following day. We'll hear argument
3: now in number 00949, George W. Bush and Richard Cheney versus Albert Gore, et al. Uh,
0: Most of the justices took issue with how the recount was conducted. But on the question of whether a recount should occur at all, the question that would end the election, that was decided by O'Connor, Kennedy, Rehnquist, Scalia, and Thomas.
4: Good evening, everybody. I'll make it quick and simple to beginning. The Supreme Court of the United States has reversed the decision of the Florida Supreme Court on a very narrow majority. Five justices to four. Five voted to reverse and four voted not to. Jack, Ford,
0: you On December 9th, in a 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court ruled that the manual recounts must halt five Supreme Court justices appointed by Republican presidents ruling in favor of a Republican presidential candidate. George W. Bush was declared the winner of Florida, and thereby the election, by a margin of 537 votes. And instead
3: of basically telling the litigants, get out, go back across the street, Congress is the branch of government delegated to resolve this kind of thing. The court took it upon itself to resolve the question, and nobody much challenged it.
0: And it's worth pointing out The politicians who cry on and on about how the court is becoming too political, who live to lob accusations of judicial activism and legislating from the bench, those are conservative politicians. And then, when no one is looking, they turn right around and appoint the most partisan judges they can find. Over the course of the next 20 years, the partisanship of this case would hound the Supreme Court.
3: I and my court owe no apology whatever for Bush versus Gore. We did the right thing. So, so there. (laughs) You know, I think that exposes Scalia, um, revered by conservatives, to be the hypocrite that he is. Originalism and textualism are all good, are all fine, they're great, except when they're not. And I go back and read Bush v. Gore. Every now and then, uh, just to annoy myself. And it's as bad today um, as, it, as it was then.
1: People say that that decision was not based on judicial philosophy, but on politics.
4: Was it political? Gee, I really don't want to get in. I mean, this is get over it. It's so old by now.
0: The principle. Uh... Five years later, Chief Justice William Rehnquist died while still on the bench giving President George W. Bush an opening to leave one of his most lasting legacies on American life.
4: As Judge Roberts prepares to lead the judicial branch of government, all Americans can be confident that the 17th Chief Justice of the United States will be prudent in exercising judicial power, firm in defending judicial independence, and above all, a faithful guardian of the Constitution. Um, I view the vote this morning as confirmation of what is for me a bedrock principle, that judging is different from politics, and I appreciate the vote very much.
0: This insistence on the nonpartisan character of the court and the entire federal branch has only become more vocal.
3: I think Roberts has a affection for the Supreme Court's role, institutionally and historically, that is at war with his underlying policy instincts.
0: Over the next five years, conservative justices tied themselves in legal pretzels to justify not counting votes. But as it pertains to the conservative tendencies of the Supreme Court, that's nowhere near the beginning and certainly not the end. The Roberts Court took it upon itself to hollow out voting rights in America through a few cases. Let's start with Citizens United.
4: Well, it's been a long road uh, to the Supreme Court on this very uh, contentious piece of legislation.
0: At the core of the case, Citizens United, a political action committee, was suing the Federal Election Commission. Citizens United wanted to air a pay-per-view film that it had produced that was critical of Hillary Clinton. But a law enforced by the FEC barred paid television broadcasts about individual candidates right before primaries and elections. So the FEC wouldn't allow Citizens United to run this film. Before Citizens United, there were limits on how much money individuals could contribute to political action committees and corporations, unions, and other types of nonprofits that weren't allowed to give to PACs at all. Then Citizens United came along and changed the rules of the game. This was triumphant news for Wall Street, and business interests. This is not a triumphant day other than for Wall Street and for business interest. This case was decided five to four with the conservatives in the majority.
3: And my guess is that what you're going to discover over the next several years is that the elected officials in the House and Senate are going to end up serving special interests even more than they do today and not the public's interest. The Roberts Court has turned back the clock on our democracy by over a century. The Supreme Court has just predetermined the winners of next November's elections. It won't be Republicans, it won't be Democrats, it'll be corporate
0: America. Special interest groups were no longer bound by laws, restricting their influence. Instead, money was now speech. And whoever had the most money could speak the loudest and throw their voice the farthest. Part two, the rise of Scott Walker. Hi, I'm Scott Walker. I'm running for governor because I love this state
4: and I believe in Wisconsin. I know ultimately it's not our people or our places that had failed us, it's our government.
0: Now, for many Americans, their first introduction to Scott Walker was during his bid for the Republican presidential nomination in the summer of 2015.
3: Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker is announcing that he will run for the Republican presidential
0: nomination. For many others, Walker caught the attention of the country back in 2011 when, as governor of Wisconsin, he gutted the collective bargaining power of Wisconsin public employees and laid the groundwork to take on all unions in the state. We'll get more into that in a later episode. But for those who call Wisconsin home, the bulk of Walker's story began in 2010. Here's Dan Kaufman. He's a journalist and the author of The Fall of Wisconsin.
1: It was really clear that he was intent on turning Wisconsin into a laboratory for conservative ideas. One of the things that Walker did was actively stoke um, a very divisive politics. In fact, he called it divide and conquer.
0: And it wasn't just Walker who was ushered into the Wisconsin state capitol.
1: Scott Walker was elected in the in the Tea party, party wave and the Republicans seized uh, both houses of the state legislature.
0: He was one of the first elected officials to benefit from the new money unleashed by the Citizens United decision. Republicans now controlled the state legislature, and conservatives held a majority on the officially nonpartisan state elected Supreme Court. Republicans would control all branches of government in Wisconsin. And they immediately went to work. Their first order of business? passing and signing one of the most stringent voter ID laws in the country.
1: The voter ID movement was like part of a whole national conservative strategy. You know, there was a particularly bitter irony for progressives in Wisconsin because for a long time, the state had one of the easiest, it was one of the easiest places to register to vote. Wisconsin voters will
4: now be required to show an ID at the polls before casting a ballot. Governor Walker signed the voter ID bill into law today.
0: According to the new law, if you were in Wisconsin and wanted to cast a ballot, you'd be required to show a photo ID with current address or an ID along with an accepted proof of residency. And you know what? Maybe that would work out for you if you lived on, say, Paul Ryan's really nice block in Janesville, Wisconsin. But let's say you didn't live on the former Speaker of the House's street. Let's say, like almost the entirety of Wisconsin's black citizens, you lived in Milwaukee a city with some of the steepest eviction rates in the country, and you couldn't make rent, and you were thrown out of your home by your landlord, or you no longer had a quote unquote current address, or you didn't have an accepted form of ID to begin with. Well, in that case, your state just made it a whole lot harder for you to be a voter. Your state just disenfranchised you.
4: And we now require a photo ID to vote in this state.
0: It's important for you to understand how aggressive the Walker era was. This wasn't just any old shift from a blue state to a red state. This was seismic. The onslaught on voter rights and Wisconsin's particular brand of unapologetic gamesmanship was happening at an unprecedented speed. With all branches of state government now controlled by conservatives, there was nothing to stop their efforts. Part 3, the rubber stamp. Some of you may be thinking, hey, what about the Voting Rights Act, that landmark piece of legislation that put a ban on widespread racial exclusion and voter suppression in our elections? Surely this has to be breaking the law in some way. And you would be right. This practice of changing the way we conduct elections by excluding citizens screamed for intervention by the Supreme Court. Which brings us to the Shelby County Supreme Court case.
4: I have the opinion of the court this morning in case 1296, Shelby County v. Holder.
0: In Shelby County, state governments argued that the rules put in place by the Voting Rights Act were outdated and unconstitutional. As they argued, America and specifically the South, had come such a long way from the days of segregated lunch counters and voter suppression that rules that required oversight by the federal government of certain changes in voting laws were outdated and even draconian and must be struck down. In other words, the systemic racism in our voting system just isn't what it used to be, and it's time we moved on. A note about John Roberts. He made a name for himself in the Reagan administration. Doing what, you might ask? Working to dismantle the Voting Rights Act, which, decades later, he finally succeeded in doing with Shelby County. You get where this is going.
4: Any racial discrimination in voting is too much. But our country has changed in the past 50 years.
0: In the last election... The Supreme Court sided with Shelby County, striking down key provisions of the Voting Rights Act.
4: Shelby County was
3: just as bad as the pundits said it would be.
0: That's David Kaplan again.
3: What you see going on in various states in terms of voter ID laws, getting rid of or minimizing early voting or mail voting or reducing the number of voting booths in counties that predominantly has the effect of of hurting minority communities or voting districts that are made up uh, mostly of minorities have been devastating. And if you don't understand that all of those changes were done only once the states realized that the Justice Department was no longer going to could watch over them because of the gutting of the Voting Rights Act under Shelby County, if you don't appreciate that, you're not paying attention.
0: It was the answer state Republicans all across the U.S. were waiting to hear.
2: After nearly half a century, the U.S. Supreme Court pulled the plug today on federal supervision. So
4: now the court is saying the test you had in place is outdated. It goes back to 1965. So much has changed. Our culture has changed. Our society has changed. Other discrimination laws have changed.
0: And while the decision in Shelby County technically only changed the rules in certain states with a history of voter suppression, It sent a clear message to Republican lawmakers across the country. Do whatever you want. We don't care. And in Madison, Wisconsin, Scott Walker and his fellow travelers in the state legislature had been given a green light to implement their policy. After the Shelby County ruling, the Wisconsin voter ID law would be held up in other courts for a little while. But it was in full force and effect for 2016. Remember this?
4: CNN now projects that Donald Trump will carry the state of Wisconsin. He will win
0: Wisconsin. Wisconsin was the state that put Donald Trump over the edge. And it put him over the edge by less than 23,000 votes. A study from the University of Wisconsin-Madison paints a dire picture. It estimated that 11% of Wisconsinites were unable to vote in the 2016 election because of the voter ID law. 11% Eleven percent of registered voters in the state of Wisconsin comes out to just over three hundred and ninety thousand votes. The Republican Attorney General for Wisconsin, Brad Schimmel, advocated for the law in court. Here's Schimmel calling into WISN, a radio station in Milwaukee.
3: We have we have battled to get we battled to get voter ID on the ballot for, no, for the November 16 election. How many of your listeners? really honestly are sure that Senator Johnson was going to win re-election or President Trump was going to win Wisconsin if we didn't have voter ID to keep Wisconsin's elections clean and honest and have have integrity.
0: Did you catch that? Clean, honest, integrity. Conservatives know they can't come out and say we don't want black people voting or we don't want immigrants voting or we don't want poor people voting. But they don't want black people or immigrants or the poor to vote. They just can't say it either. So they mask voter suppression with the language of security. Why can't we have a voter ID law? Integrity. Why can't we send every voter a mail-in ballot? Voter fraud. With no supporting evidence, conservative politicians whisk away the voting rights of people of color and the poor, all in the name of clean, honest elections. Elections with integrity. And the U.S. Supreme Court helped them do it. But for Scott Walker and the Wisconsin state legislature, it still wasn't enough. They wanted to be sure that even if they lost, they'd win. A partisan legislative body drafts a controversial law. It's signed into effect by a governor of the same party. And after making its way up the courts, it's ultimately given a rubber stamp by the Supreme Court. This creates a new normal, and not a particularly good one. A new normal that may very well have swung a presidential election.
4: I have the opinion of the court in case 16-1161, Gill v. Whitford...
0: This case comes to us... Wisconsin Republicans captured the state legislature and the governorship in November 2010, just months before new national census data was to be released. And with the release of population information comes redistricting, also known as gerrymandering. Once every 10 years, after the results of the census are tabulated, every state needs to take a look at their state legislative and congressional districts and redistribute the population as evenly as possible in each of those districts.
1: State Republicans say, though, the districts better represented a shift toward Republican thinking over the past several years. But a group of 12 Democratic voters filed a lawsuit against the state last year claiming the new maps were designed to dilute their voting power.
4: If you went back and looked at the votes in Wisconsin in 2012 and you added up all the Democratic votes versus all the Republican votes for the 99 assembly districts. Under normal democratic system, you would assume they would have taken over the legislature. They did not. It didn't even come
0: close. The lawyers had drawn up a state so heavily gerrymandered that it effectively meant that, unless the new maps were thrown out, Republicans would never lose the state legislature again. The votes are counted in Wisconsin and Republicans are holding on to control of the state Senate the Democrats came up short in their quest to take back the majority in the state Senate. They needed to win three of the six recall elections, but were only able to take two.
1: And gerrymandering also affects morale over time. I mean, it's hard to, you know, recruit sacrificial lambs again and again. You know, they know they're going to lose. You know, a lot of times it was even hard to recruit a candidate just to have somebody's name up there.
0: Now, that might sound dramatic, but consider this. During the 2016 election, with candidate Trump driving conservative turnout, down-ballot state Republican candidates in Wisconsin beat their Democratic counterparts by 161,000 votes, a margin of victory that led to a 29-seat advantage in the state assembly for Republicans. But two years later, in 2018, came the blue wave election. Democrats took back the House of Representatives, and progressive turnout was charged by a backlash to President Trump. But in Wisconsin, Democrats received 205,000 more votes than Republicans, yet the GOP still received a 27-seat advantage in the state assembly. The maps were so blatantly partisan that in 2018, they reached the United States Supreme Court in the case Gill versus Whitford,
3: U.S. Supreme Court rules against a challenge made to Wisconsin legislative districts, while the High Court ruled against changing the location of current districts. It did not rule on the broader issue of whether electoral maps can give an unfair advantage
4: to a political party. Now because we find that the plaintiffs have failed to establish standing to bring their partisan gerrymandering claims, we do not address whether such claims are justiciable.
0: That's Chief Justice Roberts again sidestepping the question of whether partisan gerrymandering is constitutional. Remember that word, justiciable. But that's not the last case in this story. The bar goes lower. If Bush versus Gore showed us how courts can contort to fit partisan outcomes, and Citizens United paved the way for unlimited political spending in our elections, and Shelby County v. Holder gave the green light to change election laws... Then the one two punch of Gill v. Whitford and Rucho v. Common Cause were the nail in the coffin on voter suppression.
4: Your argument first this morning in case eighteen four twenty-two Rucho v. Common Cause.
0: It wasn't Wisconsin's gerrymandering this time, it was North Carolina's. But whatever the court decided, it would affect Wisconsin and any other state house hoping to bend the electoral map to its will. And this time, the court didn't dismiss it on a technicality. This time, the court had an answer.
4: Mr. Bondurant?
0: Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the court. This case
3: involves the most extreme partisan gerrymander to rig congressional elections that has been presented to this court since the one-person-one
4: vote cases. The U.S. Supreme Court is considering whether or not partisan gerrymandering Violates the U.S. Constitution. This case could change the course of politics for years. Conservatives ago. on the Supreme Court appeared wary about weighing in on partisan electoral maps Tuesday. In North Carolina, Republicans are accused of giving their party an overwhelming
1: advantage in the past decade.
4: I have the opinion of the court in two cases being decided together case number 18422, Rucho versus Common Cause, and case number.
0: By now, the numbers will be familiar to you. Five against four conservative against liberal. But it's worth paying attention to why the conservative justices ruled the way they did and what that means for the future of voting rights in America. Here's the chief justice again.
4: The legal question presented is whether such partisan gerrymandering claims are justiciable.
0: There's that word again, justiciable.
4: That is whether they are suited for resolution by the federal courts. Gerrymandering is the drawing of electoral district lines to favor or discriminate against a particular category of voter.
0: Of course, when it comes to justiciability, the court had no qualms about stepping in to play kingmaker with George W. Bush back in 2000.
4: Racial discrimination is against the law. Partisanship is not. You can take race out of politics, but you can't take politics out of politics. Again, the question
0: is... But what if one of the parties engaged in that politics has made it abundantly clear that the path to victory lies in silencing the voices of people of color? The Republican Party knows what it's doing. Is there no remedy in a federal court of law? The answer from the majority, no.
4: For these reasons and others set forth in our opinion, we conclude that partisan gerrymandering claims present political questions beyond the reach of the federal courts. We vacate the judgments below and remand with instructions to dismiss for lack of jurisdiction.
0: In other words, sorry, voters, you're on your own.
3: I think Rucho, the gerrymandering case, is probably, all told, the worst case since Bush v. Gore.
0: That's David Kaplan again.
3: They're both terrible and they do harm uh, to the court. It's hard to come up with a principle other than the court really doesn't like attempts to factor in race in designing a fair and just electoral system. But in this area where you can't expect the haves, those in power, the ins to set up rules that would help allow the outs to win. There's every incentive to stay in power. Well, then you can't expect legislatures to come up with fair districting. That's exactly the time the place where you would expect the court to step in because nobody else can do it.
0: Part four, the ballot and the bench. From 2000 to 2019, two decades of decisions from the Supreme Court enabled Wisconsin to disenfranchise its own citizens year after year, election after election, ensuring Republican rule in the state legislature. The same legislature that refused to push back the April 7th election. The same election that forced Wisconsinites to choose between their vote and their health.
1: Welcome back to CBS This Morning. Wisconsin holds a presidential primary today.
2: And those lines are long in Wisconsin, despite the state's safer at home order. People have been waiting for hours in Milwaukee. To...
0: After the election was over, 52 people who either voted in person or work the polls, had tested positive for COVID-19.
3: This morning, people in Wisconsin have a tough choice to make, protect their health by following the state's stay-at-home order, or exercise officials their right
4: say to- Outbreaks at facilities are contributing to a spike in the positive cases we've seen the last few days. The percentage of daily positive
0: tests... But why would Republican state legislators be so hell-bent on reducing Democratic turnout during a Democratic presidential primary election? What would they gain by forcing the 180 polling places in Milwaukee, serving almost the entirety of the state's black voters, to close down to just five open precincts? How would that be strategic for Republicans? Because below the marquee matchup, Joe Biden versus Bernie Sanders, there was another lesser known but potentially more consequential fight.
4: And now to the race that has captured the attention of the nation tonight, the statewide race for Wisconsin Supreme Court justice. Big job often has a final say on issues that can change your life. Wisconsin voters will decide who will fill a seat on
0: the state Supreme Court. The incumbent conservative Justice Daniel Kelly versus the liberal challenger Jill Karofsky, the battle for the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. And whoever won that race would be able to vote on one of the most pressing issues facing the court, whether to purge 200,000 Wisconsinites from the state's voter rolls. Trump won Wisconsin by fewer than 23,000 votes. State Republicans know exactly how that math looks. In the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, Wisconsin's Republicans used voter suppression to ensure more voters would be suppressed in the future. But for once, it didn't work.
1: For the
4: first time in a dozen years, a challenger has defeated a sitting Supreme Court justice. With 53% of the vote, Judge Jill Karoski won a 10-year term to the state's highest court.
0: For days after the polling places closed on the evening of April 7th, the mail-in ballots kept pouring in. And they were counted. It was important for us to come out today for the election because voting is our sacred duty, privilege, and honor to be an American citizen. And today we have the opportunity to elect a justice for Supreme Court of Wisconsin. That last-minute intervention by the Supreme Court that said ballots had to be postmarked by Election Day, it actually worked to Democrats' advantage. It was a 5-4 ruling by the conservatives, but progressives across the country took note. And now... They're trying to make it a permanent fixture for the 2020 presidential election.
4: We're wringing our hands because we're so upset about voter apathy. That wasn't the problem on Tuesday. People wanted their voices heard. Anyone who wasn't brought to tears when they were looking at those people in Milwaukee voting on Tuesday and voting in Green Bay on Tuesday just doesn't have a heart. It was unbelievable.
0: Just because the Supreme Court's ruling worked in favor of a progressive candidate, that doesn't mean progressives can get too confident or complacent. This is, after all, the court that gave us the rulings in Shelby County v. Holder and Ruscio versus Common Cause. In November, if conservatives try to rig the election by demanding in-person voting, the court will not be on the side of democracy. If the years of the Trump regime have shown us anything, It's that Republicans are willing to break the norms of civic life when it reduces Democratic participation. New analysis of 2020 election data in Milwaukee shows that neighborhoods with higher Black and Hispanic populations had significantly lower voter turnout compared to neighborhoods with a high percentage of white residents. We want to see the Supreme Court as sacrosanct. As the sacred arbiter of truth and what's right, where people of good faith come together to weigh cases, establish precedent and administer justice, and in so doing, create a more perfect union. Instead, the court now kowtows to a conservative orthodoxy that time and again strips Americans of their most basic right, the right to vote.
2: You know, I think we've been... Dealing with voter suppression efforts for, as you mentioned, 10 plus years now. So we're, I think as a, as a progressive community, we're able to pivot and, and kind of see things for what they are. I really want to see a plan in place. I want to see deadlines. I want to know what precautions and, and mechanisms to make sure that everybody that requests, requests a ballot is going to get one. Because the rules changed at the last minute, the weekend before, the day before.
0: But optimistically, Democrats seem to be waking up by making sure every American is automatically registered to vote, by ending some of the partisan gerrymandering. And if all this takes eliminating the filibuster
4: in order to secure the God-given rights of every American, then
0: that's what we should do. Voting rights are human rights. Begin moving to reform the body itself, as our country has done at least half a dozen times in its history. I'd be very interested in looking at a very um, significant transparency agenda for the Supreme Court. First they steal a Supreme Court seat, then they turn
4: around and change the rules on filibuster on a Supreme Court seat. When it swings back around to
1: us, what are we going to do? And my answer on that is all the options are on the table.
0: If we want to reform the court, procedural changes like getting rid of the filibuster once and for all and stopping the conservative obstruction may make all the difference. No one knows how bad the pandemic will be in November, but Republicans know that their best chance of success will be to make the general election look like the April 7th election in Wisconsin. If Democrats want to win, and if they want to start turning the tide on the Republicans' stranglehold on the federal court system, they need to start by ensuring that mail-in ballots reach all Americans. It's not anything new in American history, but we've seen 20 years of voter suppression from the Supreme Court. And unless we want these last two decades to be a mere prologue, we need to get creative in envisioning a federal judiciary that actually serves the people. Made to Fail is produced by The Hub Project, Goat Rodeo, and The Roosevelt Institute. From The Hub Project, executive producer is Laura Hitalski. Producers are Sasha Stone, Zach Price, and Dan Crawford. Arkadi Gurney is executive director. From The Goat Rodeo team, executive producer is Megan Nadalski. Producers are Char Dreyer and Zachary Frank. Ian Enright is chief executive officer. And from The Roosevelt Institute, senior producer Steph Sterling. Our host, that's me, Elliot Williams. This episode was written by Zachary Frank, me, and the good people at The Hub Project. Special thanks to Dan Kaufman, David Kaplan, and Angela Lang. And to learn more about how conservative policies have set up millions of Americans for failure in the face of a crisis, visit madetofail.org. Subscribe to Made to Fail on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss the next episode. And if you like this episode, please leave us a rating or review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. You're listening to Go Rodeo. Keep it ear out for us.